Blog Talk Radio. Come on, put your hands together. Great is the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Abundant Solutions Hour. Our goal is to help others be more, do more, and have more. I'm your host, Gregory Turner. And I'm your co-host, Brian J. Henderson. Brian, I couldn't help but laugh when the song started playing. (laughs) Based on what we were talking about before the show came on. But I tell you what, we have a powerful show. It's going to be an entertaining show. And, Brian, I, I just really believe that the person that we have on is a really, really special person. And a lot of women that, that are listening, please get your pen and pad ready because we, this is just going to be a powerful show. And we're going to talk about some real issues. And one thing I like about our guest, Brian, she's not afraid to really talk about the things that are going on in places that a lot of people won't touch. Yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, and just uh, based on our brief conversation before the show, yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, Greg, we've been starting off our show in the, um, in the last month and a half, you know, basically appealing to those who who do have, you know, the, the folks out there that are well off or maybe just well-to-do or maybe you're just getting by. You know, we've been appealing to you to remember the people of Haiti and the nation of Haiti and, the you know, catastrophic events that have gone on in that country. You know, I just read the other day that there was another 4.4 magnitude earthquake that shook that nation yet again, and that they've had well over two, 300 aftershocks since the initial earthquake. And so those people, they need our help. They need our prayers. They need our financial help. They need food. They need water. They need clothing. They need anything that you can get them. And I've been telling a lot of people to text Yele, that's Y E L E to five oh one five oh one and that will those proceeds will go to the Yale Haiti Foundation. Um you can also text Haiti, that's H A I T I to five oh one five oh one and that'll donate ten dollars to their uh organization. And all the money all the funds that are received have been going directly to the people of Haiti to those that are in need. But, Greg, yes, I, I, I tell you, we're going to have a great show tonight because we have a best-selling author. Yes, and she, you know, it, when I read the, the title of her book, I was like, whoa, now this is something that Greg and I are all too familiar with. Yes. And that's, you know, that, that hidden pain that people tell us about when they come on our show. And so the title of her book is called Secret Wounds and Hidden Pain. And tonight's guest is best-selling author Aisha Gant. Among the many hats she wears, such as authorpreneur, life has always loved to write and began at a young age. Having had work published as early as in the eighth grade, her love for writing poems goes beyond just putting pen to paper. It's a part of her, and we're going to talk to her tonight to find out what is it like to Exposed to secret wounds in the hidden pain. Tonight's guest, best-selling author Miss Aisha Gant. Hey, 
Hello, Mr. Gregory and Mr. Brian. How are you doing? We're doing we good. Thank you so on. much for coming on. Thank you. I guess Brian posed the first question already. <laughs> In a sense, repeat that for me because I was introduced, thanking you guys for having me on, and I appreciate you know, this opportunity to be able to share what God has given me even in my forms of writing. So please do ask me whatever you want to ask me, and I'll be so kind to give you any information I have. (laughs) Well, uh, the question I asked was, what is it like to be the one to expose the secret wounds and the hidden pain? And, And the reason I ask it in that way, I know that's the title of the book, and we want to plug the book as much as possible, but a lot of people that have gone through pain and those secret wounds don't want everybody knowing about it. And when you start talking about stuff like that, it sort of it sort of opens that wound back up. And, you know, nobody wants a wound to open up once it's been closed. You know, so tell right. me, what is it like to expose? What is it like to open that wound and expose that hidden pain? Well, actually, um, like you say, the... The title itself, Secret Wounds and Hidden Pain, it it was, in a sense, very easy for me to write, but at the same time hard. I say easy because having gone through things myself and having known people personally as well as, you know, hearing about at least everybody in life at some time and in some form or another hidden behind some kind of pain and some kind of wound. And And I say that because we hide behind a mask of fear in any form because we don't want anybody to see what's going on. But I felt like it was my job, in a sense, to release what God gave me because I myself had to be healed from the same thing, you know, covering up wounds, you know, how grandma and mama tell you when you cover it up too long, it don't heal good. So in order for it to become, you know, dried up and healed so the air of life can heal it, you have to remove the mask like that, day. So... It was just time, time for it to, to be out there because, you know, we've all been in church, been in church and in church, and we've been kind of taught to, to cover up things that we don't want anybody to see. But even in the, not even just in the community as a whole, but even in the black community, uh, we're taught to, we're raised to kind of push things under a rug just for, our, you know, our own family's sake so it wouldn't bring shame or anything to the family. But I think a lot of people have just taken that on and ran with it outside of the black community as well as just covering up things, just become natural for them. So it's just time for us to remove it so we can all be healed. Right. You know, this is great. You know, when you start touching on those things that are supposed to be covered up, like that uncle that touched the little girl or or that aunt that touched a little boy or maybe the uncle that touched a little boy and the aunt that touched a little girl, those things are happening. And those are some of the things in the black community that they say, you know what, what stays in the house, what happens in the house stays in the house. And the child is supposed to, you know, they feel like I'm supposed to be protected. And now you have a child, you're telling that they can't say anything and you're really not doing anything to the person to punish them or whatever. Even the, even the punishment, the child still isn't, they're still having a problem processing what happened. And right. they take that into their adult life. Um, and, and Brian and I, from doing this show, we run across so many people that have been molested and have been raped, and they're not able to talk about it until they are grown. Uh, have you run into people like this in writing, you know, with just writing your book and now people seeing that you're out there? Have you run into this? Oh, definitely all the time because my, one of my 
my actual first job, I would say, is a hairstylist. I own my own salon. And being, you know, a barber or hairstylist, when people sit in your chair, you become everything they need you to be at that moment, it, whether it's a therapist, a psychologist, whatever. You get to hear all kind of stuff, and a lot of times they sit in my chair. I have great clients, but they sit in my chair, and sometimes they speak and don't even know that I'm listening. And aside from me listening, I hear them because sometimes we can hear it and not listen and vice versa. So I've, I've come into and even having family members of my own, you know, going through some of that before. So thank God I hadn't had to deal with it actually physically, but if you've ever, you've probably ran into women or even men who've had their soul raped, so to speak, like been in a place where almost everything was stripped from them, you know, of course unwillingly to the point of no return, but of course we all know that there is somebody greater who can lift you up and pick you up into a point where, you know, you you become whole again. So, yes, I have, and I, I'm sure I'll, keep coming into contact with women and men who's, who's going through that. Of course, we don't want to hear that, but that's just something that life has dealt a lot of people. Yeah. And you know what? I, I think people need that closure or they need an understanding of, <clears throat> as a child, that it's not your fault. Right. And, and another thing, too, I mean, is it safe to say that we, we're, we're always taught to forgive the person that hurt us? But it seems like we have a hard time forgiving ourselves, and 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 some people even become angry with God because this happened. They don't understand why it happened. And and I mean, what what is your take on 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 the the issue of being able to forgive the person, and also forgiving yourself for thinking that you did something wrong? I think a lot of it has to do with uh, who we or I guess you could say uh, who, whose tutelage we're under or having a mentor or having somebody there, whether it be your mother, your father, somebody who can teach you. And you can see the hand of God on because if we're not really taught how, you know, who God is and how he moves, it's kind of hard for us to understand the way he operates. So I do understand, I do let people know if we talk about certain issues like that. And in the easiest sense I can say is if you are unwilling to forgive them, okay, we can get real biblical and say if you're unwilling to forgive them, then God won't forgive you. But honestly, when you allow things to, you know, roll off your back, so to speak, or you brush it away and become healed of it, then you can sleep better, you can live better, you can do, you know, move and do everything you need to do better because that's not really holding you down anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, let's talk a little bit about the book. Mm-hmm. You know, as I'm... I'm reading sort of a synopsis of the book, and it's like, wow, you know, <laughs> I can I can almost envision these people because I know people who who fit the profile of the of the characters in the book. What was your inspiration for the characters? <laughs> uh, actually, um, I know. All of my characters, a lot of people say, are they from actual people? No, actually, they are from actual people, but they are really not from an individual as a whole. They're usually compilations of different people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, because, like you said, we all we've all known, or we know a church woman, you know, a church going woman. We know of of one of those mothers who is single, who does has that I have to do what I have to do attitude. We also know the women who have this. I don't know where they get it from. Well, yes, I do. It's generational where they say they think a piece of paper will change a man. Mm-hmm. 
and then we know the ones who are good in, you know, good in this goody two shoes who try to hide behind other things. So I believe I just, just from life itself and from the professions I'm in, it caused me to be able to try, you know, write from those different characters. But it's true, it, Brian, this is true stuff that's going on that a lot of people aren't talking about. And it's hard to get people in the church to talk about a solution. Everybody see it, but they're like, oh, we don't want to talk about that. We're not going to talk about that. But they don't want to address the issue. And I'm just glad that you wrote this book because, I mean, when you go to church, you you can almost, some people are just so bold, you can almost see it. You can almost see the women that are after the pastor. You can see the pastor that's looking out. At the little girls, when they, the women, when they're shaking hands, and you watch the hugs, and you see things, when you really look at it, you can see that stuff going on. And I'm just so glad, yeah, and I'm glad that you put it in a book. Thank you. <laughs> I just felt like it was time, you know. Like a lot of my friends, they'll, they'll, a lot of them will ask me if, if I'm Charlene. That's just one of the main questions because, of course, I was, uh, I'm divorced now, but I was the wife of a minister. And it doesn't really, that's not, she's not me, but it was easy to write from that standpoint because you, you're so right when you say the, the, one of the, the chicks that was, you know, in, in the mess that I had to deal with used to sit right next to me kind of stuff, you know. And so when God had to bring you from a place where you don't forget where you come from and not whoop her in the church, then you know you know you say it for real. So I do understand <laughs> that 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 does happen, and I believe that a lot of it happens because even the pastor himself or herself um, are hurting too. And you know, hurt, hurting people hurt people. And when you're not healed in every area, it's hard for you to you know to send forth or to display a life of healing. Wow, you said a mouthful right there. When and, you know, and that's what I was going to ask you. You know when, and not to, not to ask you about your personal life, but in when you see people that are sort of you know after the past or whatever, you know there's a pattern that that is always true. They always try to find out who is the closest person to him, and they make him their friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you know just the fact that you said yes, yeah, she used to sit right next to me. That's because she was watching you. You know exactly. You know, and you see that, and it's sad because you, you would think that, yes, of course, everybody wants a holy man, but you shouldn't want the whole. You shouldn't go about it in unholy way, because right. then you actually tarnish that holy man and make him unholy. Mm-hmm. You know, so in your quest to getting the holy man, you make him unholy. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You know, but <laughs> do you actually come up, come across people that have? read your book, and they're angry? Oh, definitely. Um, I've had some who, and they're angry in the sense of being, oh, my gosh, you're right, kind of like that's so true that happened to me kind of thing. I, mm-hmm. I thank God for that. But I, you, don't, you can ask me anything because I say I'm, I try my best to be transparent in every sense, form, or, or fashion because in, in order for me to display a life of healing, I have to show my wounds or my scars, I should say. Um, but... Yes, the they you you will become they do become angry in a sense because it's like, you know, you hear that old saying you can't turn a hole into a housewife kind of thing. If she's acting whorish in a sense or Jezebel, not even in a sense, if she is and she's going after someone who is being holy, 
if he's really holy, let's just get this going. If he's really holy, he ain't going to want to have nothing to do with her anyway because he'll see the, the realness. Right. But if he himself is whoring, he will cling to her just as much but do it on, 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 on the under, you know what I'm saying? So it doesn't only have to do with her. He has to be man enough and saved enough to know that this is of the enemy. Brian, listen to this. Listen to this, Brian. I can now reveal to the world what a real scar looks like. <laughs> now that's that's deep. That's and not only is it deep, it's a statement of of being delivered. Mm-hmm. I mean, you it know, says so much. Yeah, it says so yeah, much. That that simple statement says so much because. Not everybody can make that statement. Not everybody can even live through that statement. And, Brian, you know what I got, uh, Ms. Gant? What I got from when I read that is I'm through. I went all the way through this. I made it through it. And now mm-hmm. I'm ready to talk about it. I'm ready to reach out and help someone that's going through this. Right. That's what I, that's what I, that's what I got when I read this. I mean, it's, it, oh, boy, that's. That's that's serious. That's serious. And it sounds like, you know, it sounds like when, when, when somebody is able to come out and the Lord bless you the way that he's blessing you, it just really, it, and you read your words, it lets you know that you you were in a place of suffering. Mm-hmm. And that's a bad place to be, but it's also a good, wonderful place to be because that's where God is building your character. He's showing you so much. And, uh, I mean, it's uncomfortable, and you want it all to stop right away. But does it ever, does it stop right away, or did it just linger on? And you're like, Lord, I can't make it through this. I need your help. Did you have days like that? Oh, man. Days, I have days like that today. I mean, every day it's like, God, if you don't move, it can't be done. <laughs> uh, I, that's it, it doesn't ever stop. I know that because, honestly, if we are really real with ourselves, if it stops, we should be afraid because that is when it, it apparently is where the hand of God seemingly is off you because if the enemy has nothing to war with, he has no, no business with messing with you. So if you're really not doing what you're supposed to do, he don't have, he ain't going to bother you because you're already on his side. Mm-hmm. But when you, I, I say, when I said I could now reveal to the world what a real scar looks like, that was me, like you said, getting to the place where I truly understood who God was in the sense of removing every mask, every Band-Aid, to say, hey, world, this is me, regardless of what you think, regardless of what you feel, this is me. This is who I am. These scars, when I look at them, I can look at them and say, God, I thank you because I remember when. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, in reading, again, I'm reading through some of the excerpts of the book, and you know, it, it's funny. You talk about how, and, and the and the people in the book are like from completely different lifestyles, backgrounds. I mean, as I see here, you have someone who uh, is a wife of an abuser. You know, he's jobless. He's a porn addict. You have a successful businesswoman who has a secret. You have, you know, I mean, you have a, a woman who's married to an adulterous preacher. You have an exotic dancer and who's been raped by one of her best customers, as you see here. 
and you know, all these different women are from different walks of life, different lifestyles, probably would never be in the same room together, and yet they are. Exactly. You see what I mean? And you, you, every, I'm listening to you. I'm sorry. Every, everything you said is so true um, because they're they're all different. They all were created to be different, and we're all, of course, created to be different. But the, the thing about them were they were all so much alike that they wouldn't even know that because what made them alike is because they were wearing the same mask. Yep. And I called that particular mask a mask of fear because you didn't, you know, you don't want anybody to, I'm afraid to show you who I really am. Mm-hmm. Hey, Greg, you know what we always say. We have a couple things about fear. Fear is that false evidence appearing real, or fear is when you forget everything and run. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and so, you know, you know, in, in looking at these four different women from these four different backgrounds, and they all hold the same secret, you know, and without revealing too much about the book, you know, tell us about these different women. Okay, Charlene, her name is Charlene Brown. She, of course, as we said, is the wife of a minister who was relearning the power of forgiveness. She actually was, we would say, a successful businesswoman who ironically fails to take care of the business of keeping track of her husband's infidelity. And, you know, she hides also behind that, that, that false sense of security that her life's many jobs can give. You know, I'll take care of the church, I'll take, take care of this and that. But, you know, on the outside, everybody can see her as this, this, you know, her family just pristine. Everything's, you know, well. They're well dressed. They're, you know, pressed, and the kids look good. They act right, but really don't understand or really see what's really going on behind them. Where Denise, she, Denise McLeod, I would say her. She's a single mother, and we all know them. She has five children, and she is an exotic dancer. Of course, we have. And I did let out that her best customer holds the title of her rapist. But because of all that that she had gone through at such an early age, her life, you know, took a downward spiral. And she hides, at, you know, like most strong, I would say, women, not even just black women, behind this false, you know, this mask or false strength, you know, because she has to do this for her kids. You know how women do it. And, and I know men, too, like, you know what, whatever it takes, my babies have to eat. That's the one where she says, you know, my panties are priceless and, and they probably cost more than what you have on. But... But, but you know, since my kids are hungry, let's make a deal. And we it, we may not go to, a lot of women may not go to that extent, but I tell a lot of people, that my, my grandmother used to always tell my aunts and uncles, I didn't understand that a little, as a little girl, she would say, whatever you do, be the best at what you do. If you have to be the whole, <laughs> she'd say, be the best one. And I'm looking at her like, this lady is crazy. But I had to learn and understand that what she was saying was just be the best at whatever. And being a single mother, she had to have that kind of, you know, adapt that kind of attitude. Right. Uh, Michelle Baker, she's the newlywed. She was married to an abusive man. She's one of the ones who didn't want to be lonely, and she thought a piece of paper would change his ways. He was abusive in the beginning, and being married to him would, change, would not change that. But, you know, her decision to marry him, this guy, stems from a painful childhood because she hides behind the pain of, you know, abusive love that repeatedly says, I'm sorry. That don't really change anything. But, you know, we all know a lot of people like that, or a lot of women, I would say a lot, who get married just because they think, oh, we've been together this long or we've been doing this and we've been doing that for so long, we might as well. No, if it ain't right in the beginning, 
and he don't look like he's going to change or she don't look like she's going to change, most of the time they're not. And a piece of paper definitely won't do anything. And the last one is Katrina Dangerfield. She's a young woman who externally has it all together. I mean, to look at her, you would think she was just like, you know, the Miss It, the, the woman on the magazine type lady. She's taking care of herself financially without the help of a man. But yet because of her childhood, you know, being painful as well, she didn't and wouldn't allow anyone to get close to her to the point of having these terrible things, you know, terrible secrets, I should say, one after another, and she continued to hide behind a fear of failure because she felt like if she brought anybody close to her that she would hurt them like she was hurt. Hmm. So we have four different women who live four different lives but all hide behind some type of mask. And, and, and ironically, you describe like four people that I know, which is so eerily weird. You know what? One thing I uh, what what I like about your book, you're not sugarcoating anything, and that's what a lot of people do when they mm-hmm. when they write books. And I I can see a movie or a play out of this thing. I, I, it's it's serious. And it's yeah, serious. I already wrote the I already wrote the stage play. I'm just getting ready to start casting, actually. It, yeah, because the, the, the way the book is written, you, I mean, it's, it's almost like, well, you don't have to write nothing. Just give them their part and let them go because it's just so, <laughs> I'm serious, Brian. You need to, you, you need to yeah. see it. It's just so laid out like that. And it's got a lot of chapters in it. And it's got, I was on, 50, on the 50th chapter a few minutes ago. I'm like, goodness gracious. But it's so detailed and, it, and it's just real. And I think people are really going to enjoy it because people really want to hear the real stuff because people are, some of these people are stuck in these positions and they need to know that you know what you're talking about when you get on stage and you're not trying to sugarcoat it. I need help. I need that. You need the answer. I need an answer. Uh, I've been praying to the Lord. I haven't. He. It just seems like heaven is not hearing. I'm not hearing anything from them. I need some help. And and I really believe that this book and your play is really going to make things a lot you know a lot more clear to a lot of the people that are not in the church and even to the ones that are in the church. Thank you. I I, I appreciate that because actually that's that was my my uh, actual intent when I first started writing. I didn't know um, that I was going to write a play. I was told lo- a long time ago. I would say about mm, I think about seven years ago. This guy had ministered to me, and I'm after he ministered to me, I was like, yeah, whatever. I mean, okay. But as I finished writing this book, it was like God woke me up like the I would say like the night of the living dead, where you kind of like sit straight up and. And I've seen these, the, each character in my book reenacting everything, and I began to weep. And I said, okay, God. And he told me, uh, at every show, the first two rows will be free. And I say this when I, people ask me about the play because my word is my bond. So he said every, the first two rows of every show will be for women who can't afford it, for those you know who've been in these situations like going to the shelters or wherever to pick them up, the domestic situations and different things because – the guy who told me, you know, who ministered to me, said, the, the, what you write, the plays that you will write, they won't have in the church. And if you, on the first, of course you have my book, but on the cover of it, it has rated R, which is rated real. I struggled at first. My first book I had, you know, when you use cursing, you know, language, and I would put X's and O's and asterisks and all these other things, and I kind of prayed. And it's not like I say, God, say, just go ahead and cuss up a storm, but he wanted me to be so real so that people could see themselves in the book, and 
I was released to do so, and I believe that that's where healing comes from when you're real with, with the people to say, hey, if I haven't been through it, I know somebody. And when we all learn that what we go through is really not for us, it's for somebody else, we'll be that much better. Mm. You know what, though? It's hard to tell somebody, oh, what you're going through is not about you. Wait a minute. All this pain mm-hmm. I'm going through, and I'm getting beat across the head, and I'm like, I can't, <laughs> I can't get through my breakthrough. Uh, I, my breakthrough is right there. It just seems like God is just blessing so many other people, but he's not blessing me. He's ignoring me. I need to come out of this thing. I need this thing to stop. I know you right. Can. You don't get that. <laughs> you don't get that attitude until you're out of it. I would say so. Yeah, we'll just send that disclaimer. Right? You don't. You learn that, or we're actually taught to say that. But actually, I learned it. You don't really realize that it's not about you until you're out of it. Because when you're in it, you're like, now, Lord, um, we got some. You got some explaining to do. Seriously, because there's no way you can say you love me and things. You know happen like this, but when you're out of the situation, I'd say I, it, it, that's when you learn that it's not about you. The ones who have matured spiritually can tell the ones who are still in it it's going to be okay, you know, and when they know that they're not the only ones and that, that you came out on top, then I think it's a little bit easier for somebody to be like, okay, if if he can let you, if he can bring you out, he can bring me out as well. That's right, and your book is really, yeah, your book is really showing that too. You know, what was your inspiration for becoming a writer? I have always, always, and that may sound cliche, but I've always, that, writing was is my stay, I would say. Writing is my, is a healer for me in a sense because I don't really talk to a lot of people. I, I'm one of those, I say I'm an introvert who, is, who acts extrovertly, if that, if that sounds right. But I, I love people, but then I don't like people sometimes. <laughs> Because they are the ones that, to me, it seems like they're the ones who are acting up, but actually it's just the enemy. Honestly, when I write, it's therapeutic for me. And it's kind of like instead of talking and telling everybody what I'm going through, woe is me, I feel like you can't help me. So I might as well, you know, heal myself, you know, in, in a sense, or have the Lord heal me through my writing. And that's usually, that's why I write. That's me, me getting a closer understanding of who he is and a closer understanding of who I am in him is what inspires me to write and to see that it brings healing to myself. A lot of times when I'm writing, tears are just flowing. And I know that if he can do it for me, as I said earlier, he'll do it for whoever picks up the book. Hmm. Now, Brian, here's another question along those lines. What was your inspiration for writing Christian fiction or Christian novels? I don't know anything else. <laughs> um, I can, I mean, everything, like with this one, I, that's why I tell people I am not, I would say I'm not a, a Christian fiction author in a sense because a lot of them, a lot of the actual Christian fiction um, guidelines are very strict. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, in a sense, they are, and I don't really care. I mean, I don't really mean to step on people's toes, but at the same time, I am who I am, so it really doesn't matter in that sense. But I believe in, in a sense, Christian fiction is more like a denomination where you have boundaries, and I don't need you putting boundaries on me when I have people to set free, in a sense. So um, when I say Christian fiction, they don't want you to say, you know, you could probably can't even say gay, or you can't say freak, or, you know, certain things you just can't say. 
I just say that that my, my works are not ones that push Christianity because God don't need no help, but they are words that flow from the mouth of a Christian author's pen. And because I've been through so many things that a lot of people twice my age will never go through, I just always try to write from my life standpoint and put God in it so they can know that even though they've been through this and gone through this, he's still the answer without having to say, you know, one of, you know self-help books and this, that. And, you know, I, I know, I love great ministers and I will read their books, but I believe sometimes it's time out from everybody having to have a self-help book. If you do this, click your heel three times, you'll be blessed. I don't think so. So I believe it's just me figuring, you know, write about life and then let them know that in life there is God. Yeah, I was going to say, everything that you do, I mean, it, it just seems like you're reaching out to help others. And it sounds like that's your goal is to do whatever you can to help others, no matter how it may come off. Because we, we, we are so hooked on this tradition thing, especially in the church. When you have somebody new coming into the church, I don't know if you've ever seen this or not, but I mm-hmm. think people come into church, they want to join the church, they want to do work right now. No, they sit them down and they tell them, well, you can't do this until you go through orientation, and you can't do this until you do this. And before you know it, you push the person out of the church. Mm-hmm. And it's... it's <laughs> And it's sad. It's sad. And I'm not beating up on the churches. We're just speaking true. It's not, right. It's not, it's not the church. It's the people in the churches, I, I would say. Say it again. Yeah. But I, I really do, and Brian and I, we really do thank you for being transparent because that's what people need to hear because people are dealing with some real issues when you talk about the church. A lot of people are being raped. Kids are being molested in the church, but no one will talk about it. Yeah. Right. talk about it. You know, but, there's but, a yeah, lot. Like, you know, with that, there's a lot of kids that, uh, you know, having babies out of wedlock, and you know, nobody's really discussing it, but everybody knows it's going on. It's like sort of, they'll, oh, hey, you know, such and such kid is pregnant. Can you believe that? No, I can't believe that. Not my baby. You know, what I mean, and it's sort of like, here's a, here's an opportunity that we all have now to actually, you know, make some real changes. You know, help some people, and yet. You have so many people that aren't willing to discuss it, you know, or they'll just they'll they'll whisper it, but they won't discuss it, you know. Exactly. And you know, just the fact that you have a book out there that will, you know, shed some light on some of those types of issues, you know, it actually it's very refreshing, you know, because when you hear all these other folks that are, you know, supposed to be, you know, in fact affecting change, and you know what they're doing is it well I got this going on, and you know, but. I don't really want to discuss it in that light because I don't want anybody to be upset with what I say. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like they're afraid to they're afraid to come out and be transparent for fear of if I'm transparent, then people don't want to listen to me, or if I'm transparent, then people don't want to deal with me. You know, and I, and I think that's just a sad way of of you know of trying to fix the problem. I think you, you. I mean, everything you guys said is that's so absolutely true. It's ridiculously. I, I love it, especially with men when men of God are saying it because, you know, often in, in most churches, the the predominance is is women. So I mean, just the fact that you men have this this anointed show and are doing what God tell you do. I I applaud you for that. I I respect that because what you just both said is 
is so true. I've been in church plenty of times where, as you say, um, one would would jump up and say, hey, I want to join, I want to do this, and I want to do that. And then you have these mothers of the church, you have these different people of the church who are shunning them and, and, and looking at them, you know, funny about what they're not wanting to do. I think in the sense of everything both of you said, it's because they're not wanting to be transparent. They're not wanting to um, have those different new people, I would say, join because they don't really want to see themselves. And they're, not, they're, they're in a sense, uh, playing judge because if they really knew who they were and if they really knew God, they would also know that, okay, so what the little girl who didn't have the parenting that she should have had or maybe had had it and was, you know, externally influenced, maybe if she, maybe she did get pregnant. Okay, we ain't going to push it under the rug. We're going to say, okay, now this is what the next little girl does not need to do. But since they're so busy talking about the little girl and her mom and what she's not doing, they're forgetting that talking about them is the same as laying up and having the baby. They're forgetting that saying something about the, the little guy next to them who's not living right. They're forgetting that every sin is the same. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that's, I think that's the problem. They don't want to see who they really are. And that's like all the, even all the characters in my book, in, in the beginning or in different times in their lives, or you can see that they've been hurt so much by people who are afraid to shine the light on themselves so they can come out whole because of a truth, we are, you know, paying for our father's sins in a sense, you know, generationally, and you have to be the ones who, who are willing to break that curse or the chain. Mm-hmm. And if you're not willing to do that, you just keep going. And it sounds like you stepped outside of the box because, I mean, you you have this, uh, I, I can hear it in your voice, you have this, 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 I mean, you can hear the confidence in you, and you, we can hear the fight in you too that, okay, well, if I'm not right and this and that, I mean, I'm going to stand for what I believe. I, I can hear that in you. But when you were writing this book and, and doing the things that you do, how many warning signs did you get from people saying, wait a minute, I don't think, girl, I don't think you might want to put that out yet. Or you might need to change and rethink this thing. This is a little serious. <laughs> uh, uh, when I talk about certain things, when, when I'm writing, I really don't talk to anybody about, you know, what I'm writing as a, you know, I, I may, I say I could share a little bit. And I try my best not to relay a lot of it because I do get before the book. If I'm just regular old talking in a salon or just talking to an, an individual, they'll tell me, "Hey, hey, now you you know you can't say that, Isha. You know what? And I just tell them, you know what? I am who I am, and I do understand, and I do know that you have to be sensitive at certain times, but other times you have to be bold and courageous and say, I don't think so. So I felt like. It's, it's been time, it's past time, and I have a quote that I say all the time to people that I'm billionarily blessed to be a blessing to billions, and if I don't have at least a billion dollars, Jesus, I can't bless a billion people. So I'm just here, I would say, God put me on earth to go get the ones, I'd say, who look like me, not the color of my skin, not female, but just like my book, Secret Wounds, Hidden Pain, the one who hide behind, because it was easy for me to hide and look good on the outside, clothes pressed, everything looked good, hair stayed in place, and and be hurting on the inside. But when I released all of the pain and re- took off the mask, I allowed the air of life to heal my wounds so they could become scars of beauty because he promised to give me, you know, uh, beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. So... I'm just here to let others know that if you remove the mask, he can heal you and will heal you. Well, you know what, Brian, I'm, I'm going to ask her this, Brian. 
Tisha, when 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 you tell people about your story, the things that you've gone through, do a, a lot of them surprised? Like, I I I would have never known. I, I mean, <laughs> you went through what you? And and the reason all the time. Yeah, and the reason I say that is. You know, you you're just saying you had with with the mask on and the pretending. You know, when God cleans you up, there is no residue left. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you're completely. I mean, he he'll start on the inside first, and he'll, and then he'll go to the outer you. And when he cleans it up, I mean, people are just shocked. Like, I can't believe. I mean, did did you get that? A lot of people. Did you get that a lot? I get it every day. I mean, I like I tell people I don't look like what I've been through. If I did, you wouldn't even believe it. <laughs> and like you said, you you hit the nail on the head. And even biblically, with that, you know, Dan and uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know, in the fire furnace. You know, when he went in, he came out. He said, "The God told them that not God said in His word that not a stench, a smell, or a smoke would be on them. Not a, anything would be. So when they went in the fire, you would think they would be coming out at least smelling smoky, but not so. So." When he changes you, you're completely changed. My mother used to say that all the time. When God do a thing, it's completely done. Still don't, didn't understand it when I was younger coming up, but I do now as I get older. It, no one would, a lot of people don't understand. They say, Isha, you act a lot older than you really are. I just tell them, if you've been through what I've been through, you act this way too. <laughs> wow. And, and, and I know, you know, when... when and I know you have this eye for reading people when you go into churches and you see these mothers or these older men that's in the churches. And I'm going to say this. They're probably the biggest pimps and whatever. You know, <laughs> back in the day, they probably did some of the worst stuff. And they come so, they come down so hard on these people and the, the, the kids that are trying to come into church. They come down so hard on them. And we're really not trying to make this show about the people in the church but we're just talking about the things that are real and the things that are true. Mm-hmm. And Brian knows what I'm talking about. Brian, are you there? No, oh, I'm here. I, yeah. I know exactly it, it, what you're talking it's, about. It's, <laughs> it, it's it. I think we've all met that deacon that will come out and say, well, you know, I used to do dibble and dabble in this. I did this and I did that. And you can understand his talents in the church because he was, it's been channeled now to a better direction. He's, He's, he's focused in and doing something that's good, rather than when he was out there in the streets and doing his thing. But you have some people that just look down on these kids and turn them away from the church, and it's really, really sad because some of us, we're the, as close as God as they're going to see. Yeah. And it's sad. I, I, it's, it's very sad. I've been to churches like that so many times. Of course, we all have. It's, it's just amazing that... I think the number one or the only reason they do that is because they forgot where they come from. It's like, how can you say or look down on me when you've done the same thing or worse? If you, if God is the same God that you talk about, he's the same God that can heal me like he healed you or deliver me like he delivered you. It's just so funny to me that people forget after he cleaned them up as if it's a done deal. Okay, God is done now. I'm I'm okay. Like he he's not God for everybody. I just believe that they have a lot of things they're hurting as well. I mean, when you think about it, they're hurt. Like we said earlier, hurting people hurt people, and they're just they they talk about a God, but they really don't really know who He is because there is no way that you could come out of something that was pretty much 
um, could take your very life and then look down on somebody who is either in the same situation or who has come out of one or similar situations as if they are less than. You know, and, I, and you know, it's funny you say that because you know how when you hear people say, I'm delivered? <laughs> it's like, you know, and I'm not saying this is as a blanket on everybody who said that before, but it's almost like when you see those type of people that look down or look through their nose at you because, you know, you don't look exactly like they they do, but they've gone through that stuff and said, well, I've been delivered. It's almost like they're saying, I've arrived. Where are you? You know, exactly. Because, you know, being delivered, if you're truly delivered, then you would start delivering people. You would start being Say on it. that. You know, you would be extending that hand back. You know, and it, and it always used to, you know, I can remember when I was younger. You know, I was younger. I was about maybe 23, 24 years old. I had um, an Acura Legend. And, you know, it was clean. I bought it. You know, I had a good job working, I was a young guy, and, you know, bought me a nice luxury car. And I was looking for an apartment. And the guy that showed me the apartment kept looking at me, he kept looking at my car, and immediately he thought I was a drug dealer. You know, and so he treated me that way when he was showing me the apartment. You know, and I didn't pick up on it right away, but he kept asking me what did I do, you know, and I was like, you know, he just asked me that like three times already. So, of course, as I'm leaving the apartment, there was another guy standing there. With, I guess it was his grandson or whatever. And he asked me the question in front of the other guy. He said, man, where you work to have a car like this? You know, so I had to let him know. I said, well, I do. You know, I'm a you know network administrator for, you know, the department of whatever, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I could immediately see the other guy light up. You know, he was like, wow. You know, he does have a job. And he was like, hmm. You know, and, and the older guy, he's, he's sort of like, he didn't believe me. And so I showed him my badge in my car. I said, see, I don't have to lie. I said, well, do you think I'm a drug dealer? He said, well, yeah, I did think you were a drug dealer, <laughs> you know. And I'm, <laughs> you know, and it just, it threw me because I'm thinking, here it is, you have successful people that look down upon successful people because of the impression, not of anything that was actually fact, but they just, you know, I just gave off the impression of impropriety in their mind. You mm-hmm. know, and even though I was there to defend myself and to prove that, hey, no, I'm not a bad guy here. You know, I'm just a law-abiding citizen that's looking for a place to stay. You know, they had already prejudged me when I walked in the door. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's what happens. We have a lot of times where people will take a, one look at you and prejudge you. Oh, no, we can't have him come to this place because he used to be on drugs or he used to be the neighborhood pimp or he used to be, you know, whatever, you know. And they don't realize that God is a redeeming God. You know, Say, Greg said it earlier, you know, when God cleans you up, there is no residue. There you, go. you know. <laughs> but, again, I, I tell you, I love the fact, and Greg has said it over and over, he, of course, he's probably reading the book right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. What are you doing, Greg? <laughs> he called me up, called up. <laughs> Oh, Lord, I'm going through it. <laughs> you know, but, you know, the thing is, I, I love the fact that your book is transparent. I mean, it says real stuff, you know, and you don't sugarcoat, you don't, you know, 
kid around, you, you put reality in people's face where they can read it and see it, and many of them can relate. You know, they can relate, oh, yeah, you know, I'm, I, I may not have been the successful businesswoman that had a secret, but I got a secret. You know, exactly. I may have not. It may not have been, you know, I may not have been the pastor's wife. I may have been the deacon's wife, you know, Mm -hmm. and the deacon out there. Or I may have been the one that was doing the sleeping around. Yeah. (laughs) You see? And so, you know, it's, it's refreshing and it's great that you can write stuff from there and still, you know, have God in it. Still have where God makes a way for these people, you know, where God allows them to show their scars and show that they, you know, can eventually be healed. You know, because I think that's really where we're going here. People have to understand that they can be healed. You know, do you agree? Exactly. Definitely. What she said is 100% correct. I just know that everything you're saying is is lining up with, as you say, the book. If we all, in in not even just the United States, but in, in the universe and the world, realize that when we remove the mask-like Band-Aid, God can heal. I mean, if there's a wound, you want to take the Band-Aid off. Sometimes I understand that you put a mask or a Band-Aid on on a wound because you're afraid for dirt to get in or for things to get in. But there is a time that you should get in his presence. And that's when I say where the the air of life can act as a healer when you get in his presence or in a place where you know that any, no more impurities can get there, no more things can happen to it, that you can take that Band-Aid off so that he can move through it, he can heal it, and cause it to turn into a scar. Some people's scars are deeper than others. Some people's, you know, wounds are, are not as bad, but when we all realize that we can all get to a place that no matter where we've come from, no matter what we've done, no, no matter who we've done it with, that we can be changed, and I try my best to display that in every character, not even just the ones who are the main ones, but every character was in the book because I wanted them to see themselves. Like you say, it may be a lady who says, I may not be married to a, a minister, I may be married to a deacon, I may not even be you know, in the church, but I do have a secret. I have been hiding. I've been hiding behind you know, whatever this is. I've been hiding behind that. I've been hiding behind this, but... If I take this off and reveal who I am and become transparent, I can be free. Yes, that's what I'm saying. You can be free, you can be healed, and you can be changed. And as Greg said and you said, Brian, it's so easy to understand that when you become free and you become changed, you can display it to the world freely, mm-hmm. saying, you know, look at me. Look, look. if, if he can do it for me, that's, that's all I say. That's, if there's a platform that I use, it's always if he can do it for me. And then I change that, that two-letter word, if I say, since he's done it for me, he can do it for you because he is no respective person. And that's so true. Yes, that's the ticket right there. I think a lot of people, they sit on the outside and they look at you, Asia. They look, like, Asia, they look at you and they say, you know what, she's living the life that I want. I want that, but they don't know. <laughs> all they see, all they see, all they see, the glitz and the glory part. That's that's what they see. They see when you come in. Oh, she's got a hair on her hair is nice, but they don't know. They don't know the price that you had to pay to get where you are. <laughs> and they and they see all. Oh, I want to be like her. And I guarantee you, a lot of women are saying that. And but they just don't know because you have a lot of people that want to be like Oprah. Oh, I want to be like Oprah. Well, you can't be like Oprah if you didn't go through the things that she went through. 
Exactly. <laughs> and that's it, so true. Yeah, and everybody they looking at you, you coming in with your hair all nice, and everybody's like, oh, you know, uh, she looks like she's got an easy life. And that's what we do. We judge people by their appearances. And you can't, re- sometimes you can see a person going through something, but when they've come out of that thing, you can't look at that person and say, oh, they don't know it. You can't tell what a person knows. You don't know what type of relationship a person has with God. You don't know exactly. how deep or just because of their age. And that's what a lot of older people in the church, they'll do. They'll look at you because you're young, and it's just to them, oh, she's just young. She's just young and dumb. They, you, you, they don't have any experience. You, you don't know because <laughs> kids are being attacked daily. Exactly. They go, through, they go through some rough times. And the ones that don't talk, you don't know what they've gone through. <laughs> you just Freaky don't know. Mouthful. Yeah, you, you don't know. And I, and I and I use this example. My, my Brian, you probably remember when my air conditioning unit was struck by lightning. Mm-hmm. In July, in Florida. Mine was too, remember? <laughs> yeah. When you, when you ride by my house, you just think it's cozy. With any house, but nobody nobody knew that the AC was out, and you couldn't hardly stay in here. But it still looked on the outside; it looked okay. Mm-hmm. The same house that's looking okay. Some kids tonight are probably being molested, and people are riding exactly. by and thinking everything is okay, or a wife is being abused. Oh, it's okay. You just you mm-hmm. don't know. You can't judge from just looking. Exactly. Yeah, Greg, you are, man, you are so on the money with that one. You know, and, and Greg, it brings me back to um, remember we did the did the um, this little summit with the children mm-hmm. at the church, and we had the boys and the girls get, you know, and I, I think oh, yeah. we've been telling this story too many times, Greg, because you know, each time we have a conversation like this, we bring that story up because Thank it's just you. so compelling. But there was a. Um, we were at this church, and we were a part of this summit, and we had all the boys and girls together, and we told the parents to leave, you know, because we wanted the kids to be open and honest with us. And we had the boys write down, you know, ask any question you want to ask about a girl, and had girls do the same thing, ask any question you want to ask about the boys. And the boys had dumb questions of how come girls talk all the time, how come they always <laughs> suck in their thumb, you know, just crazy stuff. And... There was one little girl, and we don't know who it was, but she put in there, she says, why do men rape little girls? Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, and when Greg opened it and looked at it, he just handed it to me, and I couldn't read it. You know, I couldn't read it out loud. We were reading everything out loud, but we couldn't read that one out loud. You know, we just skipped it because we were like, mm. we can't, you know, how can we address this without revealing who the person was. Right. You know, but we took them all and we handed them to the pastor. Yeah, we didn't ignore it. Yeah. You know, because we told him, we said, this has to be addressed. You know, and the thing is, most people said, well, that's great. Mm -mm. You know, that's a a good thing. So now he can address it. And Greg was like, you know, even the pastor was like, oh, good. And Greg was like, no, this isn't good. Because... This child just opened up and asked questions, uh, uh, asked this question to two men that she just met. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now, 
why couldn't that same child open up to someone in that church or someone that was close to her? Why did it have to be revealed in a game of wordplay? Mm-hmm. You know, ask this question, any question you want to ask, and this child reveals a scar. Mm. The you know, wound. Huh. The wound, yes, because it had not healed, you know. Mm. And so that's why I say your book is so refreshing because it's going to really open the eyes of some people who are not just, you know, closed, they're closed-minded in their thinking, but they're, all, they're also short on action. You know, exactly. I, what, what I personally believe is that that when people read your book, they're going to say, man, if this is really what's going on, we need to do something. We need to be able to, to be more transparent in our own lives about things that go on. Like Greg knows that when I was younger, I used to be a serious, I used to be a professional drinker. I'll say it like that. <laughs> I was a professional drinker. You see, because most people wouldn't be able to, I mean, I was like all pro, you know. <laughs> but people that know me now have no idea that I used to drink like that. You know, and we go to dinner parties, we go places, and people say, hey, you know, you want to drink? I'm like, no, thank you. You know, and many of them don't realize that for me, it, it used to be a, a real hard struggle to say no. Because I would drink myself literally into a, a, a drunken coma all the time, five days a week. I get up, go to work <laughs> the next morning, like nothing's wrong. Wow! But I was a functioning, I was a functional alcoholic. And exactly. then one day I just said I need to stop. And it wasn't an easy process because I was doing, I'd done that for the better part of. Let's see. I think I stopped when I was 27, 28. So I had done that for close to 15 years. I started drinking when I was like 12, 13. Nobody knew. I mean, it was easy to buy alcohol when I was young, <laughs> you know, and so I would do it. And we would have fun. We'd go to parties. We were out all the time, you know, having a good time. And so... I would have been living that type of lifestyle all the way from middle school through college and in my adult life. And then one day I said, I got to stop doing it. And it was gradual. You know, I stopped drinking alcohol. I would only drink beer. And then I stopped drinking beer. And, you know, I would maybe have one when I would go out to eat. And then that went to none. You know, and I've been pretty much, I guess, since 2001, 2002. I hadn't had a drink that I could think of, maybe mm-hmm. one since then that I can remember. You know, Brian, but the we, thing is, yeah, Brian, we have about we we, Asia, oh. we we need to get your information, your contact information for if, uh-huh. to get your book. We need to get your information as far as if someone needs to contact you for a speaking engagement. We're not sure if you're taking those or not, but we just need to, whatever information that you have that you want to put out there. We have about two minutes left. No, yeah, they can contact me any way. They can contact me on my on both my sites. One is eboria.com. That's E B as in boy O R Y A dot com or a life three dots dot com. That's a life the number three D O T S dot com for 
whatever. If it's a speaking engagement, that's fine. If it's just to buy the book, that's fine, too. You can also get the book off of Amazon and at your nearest bookstore. If they don't have it, you can always request it. But just be on the lookout for the play. It'll be coming to a stage or or wherever near you. So I just look forward to God uh, blessing your radio show as well as the listeners because, as you said before, when you were talking about what he healed you from as far as alcoholic, alcoholism and then even the young lady with the rape at the summit, I, at, it's at this point in time that in, at the end of the book they have a summit, so I won't tell it all, but I learned that in the summit is a high point. It's, a, it's you know, the pinnacle end of, of something. So when we all get to the summit, you know, we'll learn that my the acronym for my book is SWAP, and we'll understand that we can swap or exchange our wounds for scars of beauty. All right, all right. Well, we thank you for joining us tonight, and with that being said, you've been listening to the Abundant Solutions Hour. We thank you all out there in Radio Land for joining us, and we ask that you please go on the website, and that is www.blogtalkradio.com slash ASE Motivation, and download the show, send it out to your friends, hit us up on Facebook, hit us up on Twitter. We love you all. Good evening. God bless you all, and good night.